Hello, welcome to Enlightened Empaths with Samantha and Denise, a community for the spiritually awakened. We're very happy that you can join us again this week. We are going to be discussing some of the questions and comments that you all have sent to us via our Gmail or Facebook page. And we have some really good questions to discuss this hour, so we hope you have a moment to sit back and pour yourself a cup of tea and join us for a thoroughly engrossing discussion. If you have a question or story that you'd like to share on our June Q&A, please feel free to send it to us at our Facebook page, Enlightened Empaths, or you can email us, enlightenedempaths at gmail.com. Denise, would you like to start with our first question? I would. I'd also like to just put it out there really quickly so I don't forget later that we are on Google Play Music now. So if you have an Android, it's a little easier to access than iTunes. And we're working on getting on Spotify as well. So for those Android users like myself, um, we'll uh, have more options to be able to listen to the show. So, um, yes. That's awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. So, hi, Samantha and Denise. I just recently listened to your show about past lives and reincarnation, and per your suggestion, I did a guided meditation about my past lives, specifically asking my guides only to show me the lives that might be related to finances. In the meditation, I saw three separate lives. All of them shed light on my current situation, but was the last one that really stood out. I was a little girl, perhaps five or six, living on a farm in the countryside of France. I was very happy and well-loved. My father in this life, I recognized as my father in my current life. I felt such love and connection, but in this life, my father, my father died of a heart attack in front of me. The rest of this past life is then filled with hardship and struggle. A few weeks after this meditation, I had a dream that my father in this life, in here and now, died. Upon waking from this dream, I realized that this is a recurring dream. I don't necessarily have the exact same dream, but I dream often that my father dies. My father is a robust 86 years old, and yet I have had a fear of him dying since I, can't rem- since I can remember. It's never other family members, only my father. I'm guessing this is all related to that past life. I wanted to get your input on this and see what you think, and also any tips you could suggest on how to release this fear would be most appreciated. Thanks for all you do. Love the podcast, Jen. Oh, and P.S., she also heard that John Holland was coming on the podcast, which is in the past now, so that's when she wrote this. But she was excited for both of us, but especially you, Samantha, because you're such a big fan. So I think we should add that in. (laughs) You've quite the following that know you love you, Johnny. Um, I know. It's been so nice to hear from everyone sharing their enthusiasm with me, so we sure do appreciate that. Do you want to jump in and answer this question, and then I'll throw in my two cents? Okay, sure. And and I do think the fact that the only thing that when I read through it, uh, the piece about her dad made perfect sense as far as that fear, that anxiety that uh, I did a reading for someone this past weekend. And, you know, some things came up and I just, it felt so old and so deep. And I asked her, I said, have you always felt this way? She said, ever since I can remember. So I think that sometimes that's a sign of a past life connection is if you just came onto the planet and it's always been a fear or an anxiety or, and we talked about this a lot in the past life show. She didn't mention though, what the, um, that it, it, it doesn't seem like it ever really applied to her finances in the, unless her dad's really tied in with her finances. 
I think because her father died of a heart attack, the rest of her life was hardship and struggle as a result of losing, you know, the provider of the family. Sure. So what I would wonder and what I would recommend is that she write down in her journal every time she has this recurring dream that her father in this life dies and see if she can connect it to a financial worry in her life at that moment. Oh, that makes perfect sense. You know, if she gets a huge credit card bill in the mail and she's like, oh, shit, how did I spend all that this month? And then that night she has that dream. Well, then I think she can just recognize the fact that this is a connection. I think just recognizing the connection is often enough to begin the healing process from that past life. Yes. And you can go also ahead. go back in to a regression. You can go back and you can... Uh, I don't want to say rewrite the ending, but do some kind of ritual in the regression to release that to the past life and not have it still stay where you are now. I agree. And I really believe that time is an invention and that if we can heal something in the present, we can heal at least the emotional connection to it from the past. Mm -hmm. And so one thing I would recommend to her is to really start to work, not necessarily on her finances. I don't think that just winning the lottery or paying off all her bills is going to cure this financial stress she's had her whole life. I think she has to look at the root of that financial stress. For most of us, it is safety and mm -hmm. protection, right? Like if we don't have a job, we don't feel safe. If we don't have benefits, we don't feel protected. And so I would ask her to look at what is the root cause of your financial worry? Is it safety? Is it protection? Is it security? Is it success? A lot of people don't feel that they can consider themselves successful or worthy if they don't have financial abundance in their life. And so I would recommend that she go back to what's at the root cause of my financial worry and start to heal it from that point of view. So if, for example, it is a safety or a security issue, well, I would go to root chakra stuff. Mm -hmm. And I would do a lot of root chakra clearing and cleansing. I would look up the yoga chant for root chakra. I would look up the hand mudra for root chakra work. I would wear more red. I would wear more red crystals as well, like garnet or jasper. And I would start to create a mantra or an affirmation for myself, such as, I am safe and protected. The universe always provides. Mm -hmm. But that's, if, that's for example, her... If her financial worry is rooted in a feeling of worthiness, like I'm not worthy of abundance, I need someone else to provide for me or take care of me, or I don't feel worthy of being financially successful, then I would go to solar plexus and heart chakra energy and do those same steps with, from that chakra point of view. Right. And two, two other things that I'd like to add are the, and I love all those suggestions, those are really good hands-on tips that someone can use. And it doesn't even just have to apply to, to financial wealth and abundance, but other areas of wealth and abundance as well. And um, if there's been a past life where you've made vows of poverty, so what I was mentioning earlier about going back into another life and rewrite that contract, go back into the life and see, did I take a vow of poverty that's carrying over into all of these other lifetimes? And, and if you have had a struggle throughout this lifetime, 
it may be a learned behavior from your family of origin or if you've had to struggle or if you've had to be the primary um, financial support for your family, whatever that might be, that can be reworked and rewritten. And it, it's, it's amazing when you shift that in your mind. Kate Northrup, I was listening to her on the radio yesterday when I was driving and she wrote the, the book, um, uh, what is it, Money, A Love Story. And she talks about that, how shifting your relationship with abundance and wealth and money is so, so important for that freedom piece. Yes. It, and it's, in my opinion and experience, it's small, subtle shifts. shifts. Mm-hmm. It's not big, big, big things you have to do. Um, we carry often the anxiety and worry of our family as well, regardless of the past life connection. My mom, for example, was raised in the Depression, and so she was a scrimper and a saver. And even though my father made a very good living and provided very well for us, she always worried about money to mm-hmm. the point where everybody get your violin out because this is a pretty sad story. She would make me tuna fish. <laughs> she would make me tuna fish sandwiches one day, and then rewash the Ziploc baggie. And put peanut butter and jelly in it the next day. Oh, oh my! That needs more than a violin, sweetie. <laughs> and this is when my dad was like president of an advertising company. We could afford three dollars and fifty cents for the Ziploc baggie. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's small, subtle things. When I was working on my own finances, I was very generous with other people. I'd spend a lot of money on gifts for people. But I was still walking into Walmart and buying suave shampoo and conditioner for my hair and relenting to my stylist that my hair wasn't doing well. Mm -hmm. Small shifts like just investing in myself and sending a message not only to the universe but to myself. I am worthy of this. I think that's really important. And then that leads to bigger shifts that allow you to vibrate at the frequency of success and abundance. Mm Very good point. Don't you think it's important to look at how you were taught about money from an early age? Oh, incredibly, incredibly important. Whether it's, and that was one of the things that Kate Northrup said on that. She said, I was, and I had never heard this expression, but I really liked it. She said, I, I had, I was brought up in privilege was the way that she put it. And, and she, she mentioned just the, the different financial things and she, may have couched it from a different perspective of someone like myself who grew up working class and, and, you know, I've always worked in my family. There's a lot of value placed on how hard you work. And I think though that the, the emotional connection is the same. It's not about how much there is. It's about what was modeled. What was the emotional impact in your family of origin on, you know, was money a, a thing with levity or was it a fear or was it, uh, inconvenience or, or all of those things. I think you, when you get back to the root cause of it, it, it answers a, a lot of questions and allows you to move forward much more easily. I do too. And I, I really think that those issues, whether they're rooted in a past life or a childhood, can be healed in the present because time is not really as cyclical and linear as we, uh, sorry, as linear as we think it is. Right. Okay, I'm going to move on to the next question. Mm-hmm. Uh, dear, dear Samantha and Denise, you have both been lights on my path. Well, thank you. 
I want to thank you for sharing your beliefs, experiences, and knowledge. I cannot put into words how much you both have helped me. I was taking a bath with my girls last night after a very fun evening bike ride. My girls are three and four. As we were playing in the water and chatting, my oldest, Julia, brings up the subject of when God came to see me last night. She has randomly brought this up in the recent weeks, but I haven't asked her much about it. I just let her share. Yesterday, I asked, does he look like a boy or a girl? She said, he's both a girl and a boy. I asked her what he wears when she sees him. She said, he doesn't wear clothes. He doesn't need them. He wears colors. Sometimes he wears all white, sometimes pink, purple, brown, all colors. I asked her what he talks to her about. She said he asks her how she's doing, how everything is at home, how school is, and he tells her to behave and be a good listening girl. She said she tells him when she hasn't listened to her teacher or to her mom and dad, and he tells her that she needs to listen. She said he has a strong voice but speaks very softly. She said that even when she can't hear him, she can hear what he's saying. I asked her what she meant by that, if she can hear him with her ears or her mind. She said, with my mind. She said he takes her to beautiful playgrounds that have many different colors. She said they are far away, Mom. Only he and I know where they are. You can't take me there because you don't know where they are. She said he flies but doesn't have wings. Sometimes he takes her flying, too. I asked questions, but mostly I listened. I know what she felt and meant, as I'm an intuitive medium. Once we were done with our bath, I pulled her aside and gave her a big hug. I thanked her for trusting me and sharing her conversation with God. I asked her if she felt loved or scared by God when she comes to visit her. She said she felt loved. I told her that if she felt loved, then it's okay to talk to God, that she can ask him to always watch over her and her sister, that she can ask him to watch over mommy and daddy. Prayer request plug here, ha ha. (laughs) (laughs) And her grandparents, anyone she loves. I asked her if she could send him over to my room so that I could get to meet him too. She said, "Mm, not really. You'll be sleeping and he's coming to talk with me. (laughs) (laughs) There have been several stages to my own intuitive growth. I was born intuitive and lived terrified for many, many years. As a kid, I used to cover myself under blankets for the entire night. It'd get so hot, my nose would bleed, and I still wouldn't be able to move. My mom would find my head laying on a pool of bloody sheets in the morning. As an adult, my guides called me so loudly I couldn't ignore it anymore. When I embraced my intuition, my fears vanished, for the most part. I still sleep with a tiny light on when I'm alone. I now feel good energy and excitement when I connect with my intuition, and I feel more true to myself than I ever have. Thanks to your guidance, I was able to remain neutral during my talk with Julia last night. Although I felt excitement for her, I did not allow my feelings to take over hers. I was able to let her lead the talk and share what she was comfortable with. I hope that she now knows that her connection is real, is loving, and accepted. This is all thanks to your guidance. You've made me a better mother and a much better intuitive. Love to you both, Vicki. Goodness, Denise, I'm going to get a little choked up, so maybe you can take it for a moment. Well, first and foremost, love, love, love that she validated the normalcy for her daughter. I love that. Mm-hmm. And that she didn't grill her or ask her repeat or want, she let her daughter own that experience but she also gave her the support to know it's okay. And the, what I love is, you know, asking her daughter, does this feel good? Does it, does it feel okay? Is it, and that's an important piece to teach kids with, you know, if it doesn't feel okay, then, then you don't have to stay and talk to someone, whether 
does does that that make sense right the way that came out yes yes okay. it does it definitely uh, does and i i'm going to jump to a different part of her story is when she said that it's validating some of the things in the show are validating for her as well and that's been happening for so many of us and and the beauty of of talking with like-minded people and sharing our experiences is ours aren't any different than anyone that's listening they're just we're all in this together and i think to to know that validation is giving us the strength we need to step more into our power and light which is so so important right now um and i love the beautiful playgrounds if you do any kind of journey or meditation or prayer or you know you you do the guided meditation that brings you to a gazebo in the upper world that's so private and personal to you. That little girl seeing those playgrounds is so private and personal to her. I just think it's such a beautiful story of, you know, such such a wonderful, validating healing exchange between a mother and a daughter. Um, the fact that she gives us credit makes me feel like saying I'm not worthy, <laughs> you know, because she needs to own that. She did a beautiful job as a mom handling that with her daughter. The way her daughter describes God wearing colors and not having mm. a gender and, and not having wings and, and being strong, but having a gentle voice. I mean, that's such an, an authentic experience. Mm. It reminds me, I'm staring at my bookshelf now as I'm talking, because I can never find a book when I need to find it, which drives me crazy. But there's a book I bought for my children. It's, um, it's Jewish stories for children's bedtime. I think Eli... Eli Wiesel actually wrote it, and um, they're ancient old stories, and one of them is a story about a little soul who's getting ready to go to heaven, and before the soul goes to heaven, he turns to God and says, but I'm going to miss you, and God says, don't worry, that's why you sleep every night, so you can come home and visit me. Oh, oh, that's beautiful. And I just, I love that idea that every time we go to sleep, we're going home. And it's often made me wonder, you know, when I get sad, I can't sleep. You ever know people, when they get sad, they sleep all the time? Mm-hmm. I kind of envy those people. When I get sad, that's when I'm like anxious and working and I got to write a to-do list and I got to do this. But I often think about people who do sleep when they get sad. I wonder if it's a part of their subconscious memory of that, of, well, when I sleep, I go home and I rest and I, and I visit with, with God and and remember my true home. And so I think it's, I just love this story. I'm definitely going to print this and save it because it just, to me, validates so many things uh, for all of us as moms and as intuitives. I think that our children are so rich with beautiful memories of our true home. And I think the way she handled it, you know, by not, like you said, owning the story or navigating it for her or filling in blanks for her is such a good lesson for us. And if you do allow your children to share with you in this way on their own time, haven't you noticed that, Denise, it's like when your kids were younger, if you, how are you feeling about school today, son? You know, you'd get, you'd get <laughs> fine. Right. <laughs> but if you, you know, said, hey, I'm going to make some cookies, come help me in the kitchen, you might get more when they're relaxed and when they want to share. Mm-hmm. I remember um, Chloe and I always walk the beach because her sisters love to swim in the ocean. And me and Chloe, not so much. So we're the seashell hunters. And we were walking the beach years ago and, and 
she said, mom, I, I don't know why I can't stop painting the ocean. Like every time we get the paints out, all I want to do is paint the ocean. And I said, well, honey, that's wonderful. I think you should just go with that and keep painting the ocean. And she said, yeah, but I just wish I knew why. And so I said to her, well, why don't you just go home tonight? And before you go to sleep, ask God to tell you and maybe you'll get a dream about it. And she said, okay. And so the next day she came running in and told me that she did have a dream. And she said that she was talking to God and asked, why do I keep painting the ocean? And that God said to her, don't you remember, Chloe, you helped me create it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was such an amazing thing for a little girl to say. Now that she's 12, I remind her of that story and she remembers it, but she's embarrassed by it at the same time because she's 12. And she's like, I can't believe I said that. That's so arrogant. Like I created the oceans. And I said, honey, I think we all had a part in creating the oceans and all of this world because we're all connected. Mm -hmm. Now I kind of get a little bit of an eye roll, like, all right, little psychic mama, off you go now. (laughs) 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 All right, would you like to read the next one? Yes. Um, I just finished listening to April Questions and Answered Podcasts, and something you said resonated with me, and I wondered if you'd elaborate more. I believe it was Denise who spoke of a friend who didn't care for a certain kind of music. I feel the same way. I was in a class and the teacher put on angel music for us to meditate to, and I nearly crawled out of my skin. I feel the same way with with instrumental music, organ, and piano solos, opera, or music with a lot of flute, Kenny G-like music. I don't know why, but I wondered if this is the music they often refer to in in heaven, and that's why I'm, I'm uncomfortable. Am I missing home? And yes, that was me. It was about the crystal bowls, which each bowl, each crystal bowl resonates with a chakra and it's a very meditative thing. And two women that I've brought to a a friend of mine here in Maine plays them and um, two women that I've gifted a a session with have hated it. (laughs) They just, (laughs) which always makes you feel good. Oh, here's a gift. Oh, I hate that. Thank you. Uh, But uh, so I, and I do, I think there are certain because, I mean, you know, I drive a lot and I listen to a lot of music and there's some things that I just, I cannot shut it off fast enough. But as far as it being um, heaven music, I never thought of it that way. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Like if, if she's missing home so much, she just can't stand to miss to listen to it because it reminds her of where she's truly from. That could be something. I would love to ask a music sound therapist this because, each type of music tends to resonate toward to a certain aspect of energy. And it would be interesting to see if all the music she mentions resonates to a certain energy that maybe she's working on right now. I don't know. Oh, that makes perfect sense. And also, uh, what is, I don't know if they call it toning or tonal, but when people make this, they just, tone they make a sound they during meditation mm-hmm. or certain yoga or or different things and i'm not comfortable being like i don't like to sing out loud in groups of people i'll kind of move my mouth or yeah. um i'm not a big hey listen to me thing but i i went to one <laughs> went to a, a situation a group situation and there was toning involved i believe that's what you call it and people were just really opening their diaphragm and letting out these sounds. And supposedly that also hits the frequency that you need to heal because Mm -hmm. sound Mm -hmm. waves and frequency and healing 
I think it's fascinating as all out. That's a great point, Denise, because you know how like when you, when you have a cold sore or a bruise and, and you touch it, it, it hurts. Mm-hmm. I wonder if, if I'm hearing you right, you're saying that certain music that is healing aspects of ourselves might be unpleasant to our ears because they're hurting a wound in our energy field. I wasn't going there, but I love that. I love that description. <laughs> yeah, we work well together, don't we? <laughs> oh, there's a, I, oh, no, no, I love that, though. That, I wish I had said it that well. If it came out that way, then yes, that's exactly what I was trying to say. Thank you. Uh, I have the medicine cards downstairs, and I think there's one of them, Whale. And if you get Whale, it talks about... Uh, finding your voice, finding your tone, that as humans, we're the only mammal that don't have a call. We don't have a unified call. All other mammals do. They have a, we don't. So that goes back to the toning thing and the vibration is finding your own, uh, finding your voice in the sense of what sound, which is kind of interesting too. Okay, ready for the next one? I am. Okay, this one says, in one of your recent podcasts, which I love, you mentioned that for protection, you carry a protection stone in some pocket. And if you want to give something, say love, you might carry a rose quartz in the right pocket. If I don't write it down or refer back to it, I will forget. Can you help me? So sure. I, basically, you just need to remember that left hand, the left side of our body is receiving. So try to connect left to the feminine and the feminine is a receptive energy. So left of the body in all metaphysical work is feminine and therefore receiving. It's really important, I think, just to kind of memorize that. Um, the right side is masculine, which is giving, uh, projecting energy. I wish there was an acronym like FM, like, let's see, left is female. So like FL and then right is masculine RM. We need to come up with an acronym that's FLRM. Okay. We'll work on that. But anyway, so it's important, though, I think, to memorize that because let's say, for example, you're doing healing on someone, and as you're doing healing on them, you feel something in the left side of your body. That might mean that they are working on incorporating more of their divine feminine energy, that they are working on being more receptive. Let's say you're working in their energy field and you feel something tingling in the right side of your body. That might mean that they're being too masculine or they're giving too much, or it could be depending on how you're sensing the energy that they need to bring more masculine energy into their lives and set stronger, firmer boundaries. If you're a medium and you're doing readings, if you feel a tingling on your left shoulder, it could mean a spirit of the feminine nature is coming into your energy field to connect with your clients. And same thing for the right. It could be a masculine male energy coming in to connect with your client. So learning that left, female, right, masculine is important for lots of things. With crystals and her specific question, what I always tell people with my crystal bracelets is don't just wear crystals because they look pretty. Wear your jewelry for a purpose. So if I am trying to give an energy of love, I would wear that rose quartz bracelet on my right wrist because right is masculine and that's projection and giving and putting energy out. 
if I'm going into a situation and I need to feel a lot of love around me and I need to pull love into my energy, I would wear that rose quartz bracelet on my left hand. And so that's why I always say for protection, it doesn't really matter. Like you can just wear protection on your left and your right. Because if you wear like a hematite bracelet or a black agate on your left wrist, then what you're doing is you're protecting your body from receiving any negative energy, which I think is really important. But if you wear a hematite or black agate on your right wrist, then you're sending out a stop, no more, my boundary is here energy, which I think is also really good for protection. Mm-hmm. So it's really the intention that you bring to the stones and how you want to wear them and what kind of energy you want to project out throughout your day. Just on the left, right again, when things physically manifest uh, pain, an ache, an injury, uh, if you constantly get hurt on one side of the body rather than another, so left side, it's usually connected, well, it is connected metaphysically with a female in your life, with a mother, a sister, a daughter, mm-hmm. a granddaughter, a grandmother, right side, the male family relations. And also, as go back to the medium Um, if someone, and this is something I'm still working on, and sometimes I really nail it and sometimes I don't, if you sense an energy on the left side, it's usually connected with the female, like you're, so if you're bringing in grandparents and you see someone on the left side, often that will be with the the mother's side of the family and the right would be the father's, but that's not something, some mediums are really, they nail it. I'm, I'm still working on that. So, you know, that's kind of fun. Too. I, I, I work on that too, Denise. And the one uh, time I'm not so good on that is with new little souls coming to the world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you might say, well, you have a 50-50% chance of being right, Samantha. So just give right. it a shot. But what happens is oftentimes I'll feel a very feminine energy. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, I'm feeling a very feminine energy, but I keep seeing a blue blanket. Mm-hmm. I had one client say to me, like, what are you trying to tell me, Samantha? I'm going to have, like, a transgender kid? Like, please be more clear. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. So I asked my guides, I'm like, why does that happen sometimes where I'll feel, you know, like a masculine energy, but I'll see pink colors? And what they told me is that oftentimes new souls come to us through different ancestral lines of the family, and that I'm better on picking up the ancestral line than I am the actual gender. Oh, so I'm, I'm better at seeing like, oh, this soul is connected to the dad's side of the family or this soul mm-hmm. is connected to your side of the family. So I wonder if, you know, when you're saying, you know, which is this, I wonder if you're picking up the ancestral line more so than the actual spirit. And if you could, you know, if we, if we both mm-hmm. need to just ask our guys to be more specific. Good point. Very good point. Okay, sorry to digress. Would you want to read our next question? <laughs> but it all ties in, so I think we're okay. It all. We hope so. Oh, Maybe we have I flow. Yes. Show and go to, did we make sense? We hope so. It'll all connect. <laughs> <laughs> um, hi, Denise and Samantha. A few months back, my significant other and I were having a lot of issues at our house spiritually. We contact local Reiki master healer who cleansed us both and then came and did a house cleansing. She told us we're both sensitive, but had a lot more to say about my significant other. She said that he had a curse in his family and that a witch was with him in the room and had been since birth. She didn't try to offer to remove it for a cause, but she didn't say say that anything could be done about it either. This is entirely possible. One of his ancestors had a very negative past involving dark magic. 
Our question is, can something like this be removed? Why don't you field this one? I'd love to hear your, your take on this. You have more of the um, paranormal side than I do. <laughs> you can say it. You like the dark stuff more. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, what I would say is that I do believe this type of energy can exist, but I think it takes two to tango, as they say. So, for example, if you look at the Kennedy family, a lot of people believe that a curse has been placed on the Kennedy family. And if you look at the patriarch of that family, he didn't lead a very moral life in many regards. Just look at how he dealt with Rose, for example, his daughter. Um, and so a lot of people think that someone connected to Joseph Kennedy put a curse on that family. And so you can look at the brother who died in the ski accident, Robert Kennedy, and um, obviously John F. Kennedy, and his son, and, and on and on, and say, hell yeah, there's a curse on that family. But you can also look at Caroline Kennedy, and the beautiful life of service that she has led with her family, and say, no curse there. Mm -hmm. And so I really believe that it kind of takes two. If there is negative energy in your family line, and you buy into it, and say, yeah, what can you do? I mean, I, you know, I've got this thing in my family. We've all had bad luck. It's just what you get in a box of Cracker Jacks. Then that's what you're going to get. But if you look at your family history and say, wow, we had this like, really negative person and we think someone cursed him and it has gone down through the lines of the family, then um, I think what you can do is look at that and say, maybe one of my purposes is to stop this. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I think I might have shared this on Psychic Teacher's or I might have decided not to. It's a pretty personal story, but I'll share it for the point of this question. I had a dream years ago that I was in the back seat of a car. My mom was driving, my sister was in the front passenger seat, and I was sitting between my other sister and my niece. And my niece was pregnant, who she's not pregnant in real life, but in the dream she was, and we knew it was a girl, and we were just kind of touching her belly and talking about names for this little girl. So they're all talking about this new baby coming. I'm watching my mom who's driving like a hundred miles an hour without a seatbelt on. And finally I just said, mom, you can't do this anymore. You, you can't drive. You've got to let me drive. This is, this is bad. You're not driving well. And in the dream, she pulled over and we realized she would have been like, whatever. <laughs> but in the dream, she pulled over, she got out. She got in the back seat. I'm waiting to get in. As I get into the front seat, the front driver's seat, and put my seatbelt on, one of my female guides comes up, and she taps me on the shoulder, and she said, these actions are eradicating a generational curse. Ooh. And I woke up, and I wrote it down, because I always do, and it hit me in like one of those inspirational moments that only a dream can do that I'm the youngest of three girls, that my mom is the youngest of three girls, and that her not-so-nice mom is the youngest of three girls. Now, that never, you might be like, well, good for you, Samantha, you can follow genealogy. It never hit me because there's all boys filtered into my mom's family and my grandmother's family. Do you know what I mean? So you mm -hmm. always think like, well, she's one of seven, or you know, she's one of four. But when I looked at it through the eyes of the dream, I thought, that's strange that you know, so anyway, and the dream happened at a point when I had said to myself and to my daughters, I don't like the way my mom is treating us. 
we are going to set a really firm boundary and not engage her anymore. And if you all know me, that was a very difficult, lifelong decision that it took me to make. Mm -hmm. And I think that somehow by demonstrating to my daughters how to stand up for yourself in the face of someone who is relentlessly well-intentioned with their love, but nonetheless negative, I think I was teaching my girls ultimately how to love themselves and how to break that cyclical pattern of mother-daughter issues. So do I believe in curses on a family? I don't know. Do I believe that mean people can pass on that energy of negative cruelty and that those people can take it on under the guise of, I have to be mean to feel strong in this world? Yes. And do I believe that those of us who are light workers who choose to be born into these families can stop that generational pattern? Yes. So how I would answer her question is to say, if you believe that there is negative in your negativity in your family, whether it's a curse or black magic or a witch, which I, I hate calling negative uh, women witches. I, I just don't like using that connotation. It's not fair to all the wonderful witches in this world who are working in the light. Mm-hmm. But I do think that you can send healing to that. I think that you can send white light and green light to the the image of this negative curse, if you want to give it the form of a bell witch type image and that works for you, fine. But I do think you can send healing to it. But the most important thing is to take your power back from that. Take your power back from what your family has told you about your roots and who you are and where you come from. And instead of looking at your genealogy and going, wow, these are not a lot of nice people, what does this mean for me? Right. Then what you can do is say, what this means for me is I am in this family to heal this message of negativity mm-hmm. and start to take action towards that by living in your light, standing in your power, and growing in your own roots. Very well put. And I, I do I do think that there is dark magic. I think that people can open portals and I've always warned folks who are are messing around with stuff that I think should be better off left alone. And I, you know, as altruistic as it may sound, I really do believe that light wins. I believe the more we raise our vibration, the more we focus on light, the more we focus on love and and you know a friend of mine made a really good comment we were she was talking about the the royal wedding and she said for one day there was so much more love in the world everything raised the vibration raised for that one day with with what was said at the wedding with the amount of love with the outpouring with you know there were so many aspects of that and i think oh i just got willies when i said that i think that that's a direction we're all trying to go to so you you put it beautifully in and focus on on the positive and what you can and, and not that negative because I think that that's a you know kind of a, a backdoor tactic to to get us to, to off track a bit um, right right so if everything in life is an exchange of energy and if you look at it that way then everything in our life is a choice and we can choose to receive that energy or reject that energy And so if there has been black magic or a curse placed upon you or your family, you can receive that energy and take that that yoke upon you as 
others before you have, or you can reject that energy. But the point of power always remains within you. And that's the only way light wins. Mm -hmm. Very much so. Okay, our next question says, I have a couple of suggestions for show topics. One of them is how empaths deal with narcissists and the relationship energetically between those two parties and how to disconnect and heal energetic attacks from others since we are so sensitive. Okay, well, I won't ramble on because I already did and I want you to jump in, Denise. I do want to say, I think it's really weird that you and I did really good shows on narcissists and energy vampires and both of those shows recorded so terribly we had to remove them mm-hmm. <laughs> talk about woo-woo <laughs> but these are shows that are coming up so we don't have to go yeah. into too much detail and we have some really cool people coming on to to share on this this is uh i think these are two of the most important topics that keep revisiting in all other aspects of what we do it's it's huge great yeah and we have a lot of great book recommendations i want to do and i I mentioned it to denise and she was like yeah we can talk about that (laughs) i really want to do a show on Meghan markle you just mentioned the royal wedding which i adored and watched avidly with my daughters my daughters woke me up at 6 a.m with english breakfast tea they were more excited than i was (laughs) but to me, she is such a beautiful example of how to handle narcissists. If you look at the events leading up to her wedding from her terrible family of origin, mainly on her father's side, of the, I think her mother handled herself with such beauty and dignity and grace and continues to. But her father and her half-siblings on that side, in my humble opinion, did not behave very well. And I think it's a beautiful example of how to handle narcissists the way Megan dealt with it. So I, mm-hmm. I really want to do a show coming up tying those two things together as an example. Um, but anyway, we are going to be tackling those, right? Yes. So I don't think we need to go into too much detail. We can, if you'd like. No, 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 no. Cause we've, we're all, we're going to do like at least two hours on that. So just know mm-hmm. that it is coming and we have some really exciting guests that are going to be helping us dive into that topic. Yes. Ready for the next one? Yes. Okay. Hi, Samantha and Denise. Thank you for your beautiful podcast. They're such a gift. A few years ago, I experienced some trauma that triggered a high level of anxiety and recurring panic attacks. Since then, I've learned to practice many different techniques, such as mindfulness, meditation, and positive affirmations to help me live with and manage my anxiety better. There are still events that sometimes trigger my anxiety and I've begun taking a more observational approach when this occurs. I've noticed that when the anxiety is triggered, it almost feels like a part of me, maybe a part of the soul, is trying to escape or flee the situation. When this happens, I notice a visible difference. I feel disconnected from everything around me and it takes a few days and a lot of grounding exercises to feel 100% whole and normal again. Have you ever heard of this before? What are your thoughts? Thank you so much for reading this and for teaching us through all through your podcast. Light and love to both of you. Um, and I would say yes and yes and yes as far as that level of anxiety. And I've only ever had one real panic atta- attack and it scared the shit out of me. I was, oh, I was, how do I get to the ER? I thought And again, we've talked about this in other shows, my complete empathy and compassion to anyone who has to deal with that on a regular basis. 
But what I've found over the last few months is feeling more anxious about things, feeling more uh, high strung or my reactions feel more, because um, I'm usually a pretty, pretty mellow, easygoing person, but I've found that I seem to be um, not, not vibrating at a different frequency, but just littler things are hitting me the wrong way and or I'm internalizing things in a different way, I guess is a better way to put it. But I love all the, the choices that she's making to um, mm-hmm. to try to balance that out. Uh, and the observational approach is also, that's right, because if you don't take a step back and look at it and try to figure it out, it's going to keep coming back over and over again. I believe that. I, well, I have two suggestions for her. Um, one, Denise and I are very thrilled to say that soon we will have Anadea Judith on our show. If you have not heard of her, please check out her work. She is renowned and known for her bestseller, Wheels of Life. But we're having her on the show soon to talk about a new book called Charge. And in that book, she talks about how there are points in our life that are filled with charge. And the way she describes it, I love. She says that, let's say, for example, as a kid, your parent is yelling at you for something that you didn't really do wrong. There's a charge in your body that says, stand up for yourself. You didn't do this. But there's another charge in your body that says, sit down and shut up or else you're going to get yelled at even more. And she said, when you're getting two opposing thoughts like that, that creates an energetic block. And what happens is we tell ourselves, just push it down, push it down, push it down. But those, when we push it down, those become our trigger points. And so her book is about how to unlock those trigger points through energy healing. And so I would recommend that she check out that book because she has a lot of really good exercises in there. I mean, even like I think in chapter two early on, there's an exercise that says, whenever I feel and you, you fill in an emotion, like whenever I feel sad, I think blank. And, you know, she'll see these exercises mm-hmm. that help you track your feelings to your thoughts, to your rooted beliefs so that you can start to dig out the trigger points. And I think what happens throughout our childhood and our upbringing is that we get a lot of these trigger points and we just get so used to having them that we don't even recognize them. Mm-hmm. So just as you were saying, Denise, the fact that she's able to step back and observe, she's distancing herself because that's a safety mode. Um, I'm, you know, I listen to a lot of spirituality podcasts, but I listen to a lot of podcasts that are not spiritual at all. And one of my new bingeable podcasts I recommend to anyone who's a little like me with my love for things, crime and drama and dark, uh, is Empire on the Blood. It's a really, really good podcast about drug dealers in the late 1990s. And there's this scene in there where the journalist who's narrating the podcast asks the man who's in jail for 25 years for allegedly committing two crimes, two murders. And he finds out that one person that's significant to this case is dead. And the man is in prison hearing this, and he just hangs up the phone. And the journalist is like, I don't know what happened. So the guy, the criminal, calls him back a couple of days later, and he said, I'm really sorry I hung up on you like that. He said, the only way I can survive in this prison is to just push everything down. Mm -hmm. And when emotions come up, I don't know how to handle it. And that's an extreme example But don't you think many of us empaths walk around that way? Be aware of your triggers and then work with your energy to heal it. The second thing I would recommend to her is a wonderful therapeutic uh, program called EMDR. 
eye movement desensitization something. I cannot remember the third one. Um, but there are many, 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 many therapists throughout the country, and I'm sure the world, who are trained in EMDR therapy. And it's a wonderful way to remove trigger points. Mm-hmm. I had a client um, who was assaulted by her father for several years as a child. When she finally, years later, confronted her dad about it with her mom there, he went downstairs and killed himself. She ended up becoming an alcoholic um, and couldn't heal from that. And it wasn't until she did EMDR therapy that she was able to unlock those triggers and have a beautiful, wonderful, successful, happy life. So I have not done EMDR myself, so I can't speak to it personally, but I've had clients who have done it and friends who have tried it, and I've really heard good things about it. They're using it right now with veterans uh, for PTSD, and Mm -hmm. there's just really cool research on it. So I'd recommend, you know, to check out those two things. That sounds like very practical um, tips as well. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Okay. Our next question says, I love listening to your podcast. I know I am psychic, and I think I may also be a medium. I was wondering, what are the signs that you're a medium and not just a psychic? Thank you, Ashley. Oh, that's so funny, Denise. Remember I said I had two more questions we could add on to this? Uh-huh. One of them is almost exactly that same question. I know. Someone had emailed me and said, you know, I keep going to see psychics and they tell me I'm a medium. And yeah, I see spirits sometimes, but does that mean I'm a medium? Uh, yeah, it does. <laughs> In, my In the club. Do you want to talk about the differences between being psychic and being a medium? Well, yes. And we'll have to first off quote your Johnny to start with as yeah. far as, you know, all mediums are psychic, but not all psychics are mediums. That's important that because that's the way it goes, right? Yes. Um, it, to me, it, it's so, so different. The, the psychic stuff, it comes as hits, it's premonitions, it's just knowing things, it's feeling things about people. I use all my clairs with that. I'm just going to do this from a personal, since I do both sides of the fence. The mediumship, it feels physically different to me. It's also coming from someone else. The psychic stuff is I'm getting hits. It's almost like instant telepathy, like boom, boom, boom. The, but the other, I'll, I'll sense someone else or I'll hear someone else or I'll get, if I'm you know connected, if I have a link with someone and a message is coming through, it's almost like I'm not even there. It's just coming through me. I'm, I'm the channel. Um, so, and a lot of times if, and John made a really good point of this on the show and I, I've implemented this into my work is, he said, if, if you have a link with someone, but then they ask you, you drop into psychic, make sure that you say, this is coming from me as a psychic, not coming from your person. And a lot of times people will come to me for mediumship and they'll say, well, what does my dad think about such and such? Like randomly, we're not even, we don't even have a connection with the father at that point. So that's going to, and I'll say, well, as a psychic, I can tell you this, we can try to make a link with your dad and see if we can get more information on that. Um, I mean, it's so, so, so separate for me. And it's taken years and years and years to separate them. But I'm trying to think of a more um, concrete way to explain. Uh, Does it feel that different for you as well? It does. It didn't in the beginning because I didn't know how to separate it. 
I didn't believe I was psychic. You just thought you were a medium. Right. And I really believed that all the information I was getting was from the people's loved ones on the other side. Okay. I actually prefer it that way. I don't feel comfortable telling someone I feel that you're getting married this summer because the hell do I know? I feel a lot more comfortable when I get that information from a grandmother who knows that client and is watching over that client. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I'm much more comfortable often doing mediumship readings that way. But then when I learned that, you know, you really should separate them out, it, it definitely taught me a lot. I will tell you if I'm around someone and I get a psychic hit, it's quick and it's that telepathy energy that you were mentioning. Mm -hmm. And then it goes away. It's gone. Right. Whereas when I'm connecting with a spirit on the other side, and Denise, I really want to come up with another name for that. Because like one day you and I are going to be spirits, I guess, God willing, a long time from now. And I don't want people calling me a spirit, like I'm some freaking Casper wooing around the world. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But I don't want to call them like discarnate. I, I don't know. I just feel like we need to come up with All another right. word. We'll, we'll have an acronym for that too. But let's just say your grandmother, Betty, is, is, trying, is on the other side and is trying to get a message to me. It'll come through again and again and again and again until I, until I pass it on. For example, years ago, I did a reading for this young woman and her grandfather came through so strongly and he said he was a protector and a guide for that family. Not like a spirit guide, but just like a family guide. Yes, I get and then that he would lot. always yes. watch over. Yeah, and he would always watch over her. And so I saw on Facebook because we're friends on Facebook. I saw that she had become a facialist, and I thought, well, well, that's very, very nice. Now I don't get a lot of facials. I wish I did, but I don't treat myself very often. And for weeks, I kept getting this like intuitive nudge to go get a facial with her. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what the hell is this about? But it wouldn't leave me for weeks. And so finally, I just went ahead and Facebooked her and said, hey, I'd love to check out your new spa. Like, can I sign up for a facial? And so as I'm laying there getting my facial, her grandfather's all around me and he's showing me a diamond ring and he's saying, tell her congratulations. Mm-hmm. Well, there's no diamond ring on her finger. Oh. And so I'm like, man, am I having one of these, like, you think you're a medium, Samantha, but you're really not moments, or am I just getting this wrong? It really bothered me. And the next day on Facebook, she posted her engagement ring. She left me, got home, got ready, went out with her boyfriend. He was um, stationed out of the country, came home, proposed to her that night. And I kind of... But he hadn't proposed yet. Well, he had no, when the grandfather had been like, you know, saying, go, go see her, go see her, go see her. And I still haven't told her this because I feel like now she'd be like, mm-hmm, thanks. You know, glad you told me, you know, the day after, but I didn't want to tell her the day before either because a, what if I was wrong? B, mm-hmm. what if I spoiled a surprise? Right. But anyway, that's my story. I did spoil a surprise last week or a couple you weeks did? ago. Oh, I, I felt so so terrible because you know i still work at the high school and these cute cute kids came in they've been little boyfriend and girlfriend for quite a while and i looked right at her and and but it, you know they're they're funny because they're more friends and i didn't know for the longest time if they were actually a couple or just really good friends and i looked at her and i said 
so what color dress do you wear to the prom? And the kid, the, the male, the young man looked at me with this horrified look on his face. And I said, I just really put my foot in my mouth, didn't I? He said, I was going to ask her after lunch. I didn't ask her yet. And I said, I'm so, so sorry. I'm sorry. I feel terrible. Can I give you free food? I mean, I felt so horrible that I ruined the surprise. So... <laughs> So oh, I, I think you made the surprise better. And, and then they were cute. Oh, yeah, I'm, good. I'm wearing a blue dress. I was hoping he'd ask me today. And, and I just felt like a shit, though. I really did. So oh. sometimes when the premonitions fly out of your mouth, it's it's not always a great thing. Working no, on that. it's not. Uh, so. It took me a long time to realize that. But that's just a long example to show how my mediumship works. It's very subtle, and yet it's very consistent and repetitive. And the message does not stop until I honor it or pass it on or it's received in some way. Whereas the psychic information is very quick and it's a one-time, you know, deal. Okay. And I just want to add one more little caveat to that is, you know, I was doing a reading with someone and talking with her father and spirit the other day and it came up and then out of, so we're, I'm bringing through the evidential, how tall he was, what he looked like, all these things. She had a brother. And then I just stopped and I said, is there a wedding coming up in the next couple of months? And she said, well, yes. And she, she, so was that me being a psychic or was that me getting the information from him? Because it was as random a quick a hit as a psychic hit, but I was still had a strong link with the father and it wasn't her wedding. It right. was for like a cousin or something, but it was still a big family event that everybody would be at. And that's what we had been talking about. So I guess that would be coming yeah, from her dad. That's what I would think. And, I, and, and that's something they love to do is to share in your joys and your sorrows as a way to share that energy with you, but also as a way to say, I haven't left. I'm just in the other room. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, I like that. So um, we hope these long-winded, on my part at least, answers <laughs> have given you some food for thought. Uh, as we said in the beginning of the show, if you have a question or a story that you'd like to share with us, please do so on our Facebook page or our Gmail. Facebook is Enlightened Empaths and Gmail is EnlightenedEmpaths at gmail.com. And we hope that you join us next week. We're going to be having an addiction counselor on talking about the empath and addiction, not necessarily the empath as the addict, but more the empath as the codependent for the, uh, the addict. And we think you will really enjoy listening to our guest on that show. He's uh, deeply compassionate and has a lot of wisdom to share with all of you. In the meantime, we hope that you have a wonderful week. Don't forget to show up. Do great work and share your light. Thanks, everyone.